What's up, you guys? I'm Haley. And I'm Andrea. And this is Inhuman, a true crime podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. I feel like I always start this with like, okay, so, so I'm trying <laughs> to not always say that. Um, but welcome back to Inhuman. And I am very excited for this episode because when I was researching yesterday, I got like really deep into it. And of course, every episode that I research is like interesting and they're all equally difficult to do research on in the sense that like it's tragic and sad right but with this one I was really able to like find a lot of sources in like the archives and go back to articles from when it actually happened oh nice so I was just like really wrapped up in all of it so I'm excited to be sharing this with you guys today yeah so today we are going to be talking about the colonial parkway murders that took place in Virginia in the late 1980s And I was going to cover a different case today, but on our last Listener Stories episode, one of the stories sent in was related to this case, and so that's when I started looking into it and decided to cover it today. And I will also reread that Listener Story at the end of this episode because it's eerie. Okay. So the Colonial Parkway is a 23-mile-long road in Virginia, United States, And it links together Jamestown, Williamsburg, and Yorktown, the three points of Virginia's historic triangle. It is part of the National Park Service's Colonial National Historical Park. So it's within a park, a national park. Right. The road is very scenic and it's free of semi-trucks and other commercial developments since it's within a national park. So it's surrounded by beautiful trees, it has historical brick overpasses running over portions, and while it is well-traveled, it's also somewhat of a quiet road. The speed limit only reaches 45 miles an hour, there are no stoplights, it curves and twists with the landscape, so it's not like a, you know, highway that people take all the time. Right. On October 12th, 1986, a pedestrian was walking along the Colonial Parkway when they noticed a car that had driven down an an embankment. So this was at the Cheatham Annex overlook along the parkway, and there wasn't a clear view of the car from the road, but the pedestrian was able to see it, and they became worried, so they called Highway Patrol. Oh my gosh. When the patrolman arrived on the scene... He made the gruesome discovery that would start an investigation into a spree of murders that took place over the next three years. So this car was a white 1980 Honda hatchback, and it appeared to have been either driven or pushed off the road like it cleared a path through bushes on the slope. And the only way to get down to it was like through the path that it cleared. Dang, that's crazy. Since this was on federal land because it's within a national park, the patrolman basically had to wait until FBI agents arrived to do anything. Yeah. And I did read in one source that the patrolman did, like, look inside the car. Okay. See people and checked if they were alive. When he realized they weren't, then he, like, basically didn't touch it. Okay. And when the FBI agents arrived, they quickly realized that this was no car accident. Inside of the car were two young women, 
one in the back seat and one in the hatchback trunk. (gasps) They had been bound with rope and had been strangled, but they were killed by cuts to their throats that ran so deep that they were nearly decapitated. I always hate that. Oh my gosh, that's so violent. Mm Mm-hmm. It's it's ridiculous. And they immediately knew this wasn't an accident. Yeah. They were fully clothed and there was no sign of sexual assault. These two women were 27-year-old Kathleen Kathy Thomas and 21-year-old Rebecca Anna Dowski. Oh my gosh, so young. They had been missing since October 9th. So on the evening of the 9th, they were seen leaving a computer lab after going out to dinner around 9 p.m., but were not seen after that. And they had been reported missing the next day, but up until this point, there was no sign of them anywhere. Okay. So the car they were in was Kathy's car. Kathy Thomas graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy in 1981 as part of its just second class to admit women. Oh my goodness. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We're huge believers of therapy here on Inhuman. Life is tough and sometimes you need extra help to cope and that's okay. That's why we love BetterHelp. BetterHelp will pair you with the best therapist for you. And the best part is BetterHelp is all online so you don't even have to leave your house, which for busy gals like Haley and I is perfect. 100%. If you've ever heard me talk about therapy, then you know that I love it. When I was in college, I began really struggling with anxiety and depression. And while I had been dealing with that for a long time, I hit a point that I needed to help. I needed some help learning some positive coping skills. Seeing a therapist changed my life, and I know it sounds cliche, but it helped me to realize that much of what was burdening me was because of my anxiety and OCD, and it's not my fault. Therapy isn't just for people who have experienced a major trauma in their life, and I truly think everyone can benefit from therapy. If you're thinking about trying therapy, BetterHelp is a great option because as Andrea mentioned, it's entirely online, so it's convenient and flexible to fit your schedule. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Inhuman today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Inhuman for 10% off your first month. So she was in the Navy for the next five years, but in 1986, she had to leave the armed forces after she was investigated about her sexuality. Oh no, not her sexuality. (laughs) Yeah. So she was gay and they started investigating her and her brother later reported that she had been investigated by nine agents. What in the world? Yeah. So she left the Navy and she started working as a stockbroker, quickly finding success. In 2021, Kathy's brother said, quote, In the 35 years since she passed, when I see all these amazing women running for president and vice president, Congress, Senate, senators, ambassadors, CEOs, Kathy Thomas would have been one of those amazing women. Yeah. So Kathy started dating Rebecca Dowski in 1986, and Rebecca was 21, six years younger than Kathy, and was a student at the College of William and Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia. Okay, I've been there. Oh, nice. (laughs) 
Along with being a student, Rebecca worked at a daycare and at the college's English department as a clerk, and her family described her as smart, kind, and loving fashion trends. So her sister-in-law recalled that, quote, she enjoyed going to the Gap and dressing well, whatever the trend was. (laughs) So because of the way that Kathy and Rebecca were found and the lack of blood in the car, it was believed that they were killed elsewhere and then dumped in the car off the parkway. They found that there was diesel fuel poured over their bodies and the car, but a fire had never been ignited because diesel fuel does not ignite like gasoline does. And so whoever did this was trying to like basically burn down the car to get rid of evidence to hide what happened, but failed to do so. Oh, wow. That's they didn't do their research there. Yeah. So investigators actually believe that the killer had tried to torch the car after failing to push it into the river. So that probably explained why he only had diesel fuel and tried to burn it with it. He wasn't prepared and wasn't planning on burning the car. But after he couldn't get it into the river, river, he tried to to do something and he only had diesel fuel to try to burn it with. Okay, so that's a good clue for investigators that he likely drives a diesel vehicle. Mm -hmm. So the lack of sexual assault confused police because they had no clue what the motive was. Of course, they initially theorized robbery, but both women's purses were still in the car with no jewelry or money taken from them. So that theory was pretty quickly ruled out and they had no idea what the motive was and they pretty much had no evidence to point to any suspects. They were reportedly able to find a clump of hair between Kathy's fingers indicating that she may have struggled with the attacker and, you know, tried to defend herself. Yeah. But they weren't able to get anything from that evidence and we'll talk more about that later. But at the time, they didn't get anything from it. Okay. Interestingly, Kathy's wallet was on the floor of the driver's seat, not in her purse, indicating that she had maybe taken it out of her purse for some reason. But it was sitting there with nothing missing from it. So they potentially thought that this could have meant she was getting it out for some reason, maybe because she had gotten pulled over and was getting her license out. Ooh. Yeah, so remember that for later. Okay. But despite an exhaustive investigation into Kathy and Rebecca's murders, the case went cold, and there were no other attacks in the area for almost a year. But that all changed on September 22nd, 1987. 20-year-old David Knobling lived in Hampton, Virginia, and worked for his father's landscaping business. In 1987, he was expecting a baby with his longtime girlfriend, On September 19th, David had spent the day at an arcade with his little brother, his cousin, and a friend, 14-year-old Robin Edwards. In the evening, David dropped Robin off at home, but it's reported that later that night, she snuck out to meet up with him, and she never came home. Oh, no. The next day, David's black Ford Ranger pickup truck was found abandoned by the James River Bridge, which runs across the James River in Virginia near the Colonial Parkway. Okay. So the parkway stretches from the York River in Yorktown to the James River in Jamestown. So the James River Bridge is basically down the river from the parkway. And there is a map showing where all the murders took place that I'll post on our Instagram so you can visualize it. So this was not 
on the parkway, but was not far from it either. Okay. So the area where the truck was found was a marshy area, and this was reportedly a popular spot where teens like to go party or, you know, have some alone time. Right. David's truck was found unlocked with the driver's side door open and the key in the ignition. The windshield wipers were going, and the window, the driver's window, was partially rolled down, which led police to believe that maybe they had gotten pulled over. Pulled over. Oh! Inside the truck was David's wallet and some of his and Robin's clothing. But nothing was stolen. When the truck was found, David's family immediately knew something was wrong because this truck was his most prized possession and he wouldn't just up and abandon it. Right. And David and Robin were nowhere around the truck. And, you know, it was left running. It's not like somebody had parked it and walked away. They clearly were taken from it. Yeah. Three days later, a search party was happening along the James River when David and Robin's bodies were discovered. They were up on a riverbank, and while it was initially believed they had been dumped in the river and then washed up, the medical medical examiner and tide experts determined that they had been killed on the riverbank and were never actually in the water. Okay. Both David and Robin had been shot in the back of the head execution style, and David was shot another time in the shoulder, indicating that he likely was, like, running from the killer, the killer shot him, hit his shoulder... That made him fall over, and then he shot him in the back of the head. Okay. So that's interesting that already they're probably not able to link these cases because Mm -hmm. the other girls were, well, not stabbed, but their throats were slit and they were strangled, and these people were shot. Yep. And they're not, they didn't happen right next to each other. You know, it wasn't both on the parkway. Right. Now, sexual assault could not be ruled out because it was... uh, found that Robin had had some sort of sex that night. But it is presumed that David and Robin had some sort of sexual relationship. But it's still unclear what exactly they were doing together that night. And I do want to point out, it's never been proven if they were in any type of relationship or not. And I'll explain one reason that they may have been together that evening in a minute. But there was indication that Robin had had sex that night. So they couldn't 100% rule out sexual assault as a motive. Okay. But there was no evidence or anything that could point to a suspect. At first, they had nothing, but they did begin starting to think about the other double homicide that had happened 11 months earlier. So despite these murders being different, they were linked because both sets of victims were couples who had been killed around Lover's Lane's area, Lover's Lane areas. And they also both had some sort of indication that maybe they had been pulled over. Right. Where David's truck was found was about a 30-minute drive from where Kathy and Rebecca were found. And despite the cause of death being different in both cases, they were linked because of how similar other aspects were, like there being no sign of robbery, There being, like, no suspects, no indication of anything. It was just, you know, there was nothing they could go off of. So they did start to link these together. Yeah. But once again, despite an exhaustive investigation, David and Robin's murders began to go cold. 
David was a smart, driven young man who, as I mentioned, was an expecting father. Robin was an outgoing teenager who had struggled with mental health in her early teen years. So she was reportedly prone to running away and reckless behavior, and she left the house without permission several times before that night in September 1987. And that could potentially explain why she was with David that night. She just was doing the same thing she always did, wanted to get out of the house, part of her quote-unquote normal running away randomly. Yeah. Her sister shared that Robin had entered therapy in the months before her murder and was making significant progress. So it's so sad because she was, you know, she was improving. Yeah. Yeah. And she was so young. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like we all make terrible decisions when we're young, especially, but Mm -hmm. at least she was trying to like, she knew she was like, you know, aware of it and trying to help better herself. Exactly. And her sister described her as, quote, full of energy and not afraid of anything. So she just seemed like an awesome young girl, young woman. So these murders went cold. So there were now four unsolved homicides that happened in similar areas and police had nothing to go off of. Yeah. And then on April 10th, 1988, less than seven months later, another couple went missing. Oh, geez. So 18-year-old Cassandra Lee Haley and 20-year-old Richard or Keith Call were both students at Christopher Newport University in Newport News, Virginia. And on the night of April 10th, they were on a first date. No. I know. So they went to the movies and then they attended a party together in Newport News. But after being seen at the party, they were not seen or heard from. The next day, Keith's red 1982 Toyota Celica was found at the York River Outlook on the Colonial Parkway. And this is just two miles from where Kathy and Rebecca were found. The car was abandoned, the keys were sitting on the front seat, and inside the car were Keith's wallet, Cassandra's purse, and almost all of the clothing that both he and Cassandra had been wearing the night before. So his wallet was out? It was out. There was no sign of them anywhere around the car, and there were extensive searches done of the surrounding wooded wooded areas and rivers, and search dogs were able to trace their scent to the river, but then lost it, because usually once it goes into water, they can't trace it anymore. To this day, their bodies have still never been (gasps) found. Oh my god. Are you serious? I... I was really thinking they were going to be, like, right there. That's... Yeah. Wow. No, they have never been found, but they are presumed dead. Oh, my gosh. And it is presumed that they were murdered because of the way the car was just left abandoned. Their clothes were inside. Yeah. Some people say they may have gone skinny dipping down in the York River off of the outlook that they were, like, parked over. But there also are a lot of reports that's like, it was April, the water was really cold, and right down the road, there was a beach. So if they wanted to go skinny dipping or like go in the water, why wouldn't they go to the beach? Why would they like climb down an area that didn't have a footpath? If they were skinny dipping, though, you're going to go where there's not going to be a lot of people. So I can understand that. But I do know Virginia, even in April, the water is still like rigid really cold yeah yeah so it's i think more believed that they were maybe 
doing some alone time things when somebody came and attacked them. And that's why their clothes were off. That's awful. Yeah. Keith was a computer science student at Christopher Newport University. And like, like David, he loved his car. So when it was found abandoned, his family knew something was wrong. Yeah. His brother described Keith as, quote, an old soul in a way, saying he was, quote, shy at first, but once you got to know him, he opened up. Cassandra, or Sandy, as she was known to friends and family, was a model and gymnastics coach, along with studying at Christopher Newport University. Her mother described her as unique, saying, quote, there was nobody she wasn't going to be a friend to. She was very generous with everything. Oh, my gosh. So these murders were quickly connected to the other two double homicides that had happened, specifically to Kathy and Rebecca's murder because it was two miles down the road. They were really close. And then that one had been connected to David and Robin's murder. So these three were kind of beginning to be connected, but they still had nothing to go off of and even less this time since their bodies hadn't been found. Oh, gosh. So the case went cold and police didn't have any leads or suspects and things remained quiet for the next year and a half. That is, until 21-year-old Daniel Lauer and 18-year-old Anna Maria Phelps went missing just after Labor Day weekend in September 1989. So Daniel was driving his brother's girlfriend, Anna Maria, back to their house in Virginia Beach where Anna Maria lived with her boyfriend. So the couple were struggling financially and Daniel had agreed to move in with them to kind of help with money. So Daniel and Anna Maria had driven to their hometown in Amelia County for Daniel to get his things and for Anna Anna Maria to visit her family over that long weekend. They started heading back to Virginia Beach after leaving the Richmond area at around 11 p.m. on September 4th. Okay. On September 5th, Daniel's 1973 Chevy Nova was found abandoned at the New Kent rest stop on I-64, which is about 30 miles northwest of the Colonial Parkway. So if you haven't yet looked at the map that I posted on Instagram, this is the most north case. And then there's two on the parkway that's kind of in the middle and then one south of the parkway. Okay. So interestingly, the car was found on the westbound side of the highway, which was opposite of the route back to Virginia Beach. So it wasn't clear if they had pulled over, but they didn't think that that was the case because it wasn't going in the right direction. So it was believed that the car was placed there later. Okay. So after the car was found, they were reported missing. Anna Maria's purse was inside the car, as well as all of Daniel's belongings that he was bringing back to Virginia Beach to move into the house. Right. So searches for the two immediately began, but led nowhere. Over a month later, on October 19th, 1989, hunters on a logging road about a mile from the rest stop where the car was found discovered two skeletonized bodies. Mm-hmm. So this was along I-64 between Williamsburg and Richmond, again, not far from the rest stop, where the car was found. It appeared that the victims had been killed by knife wounds, but they were so far in the decomposition 
process that they really couldn't determine much and they never ruled an official cause of death. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much impossible unless there's markings on their, like, skeletons. Yeah, and there were, like, some knife marks on Anna Maria's bones, but they couldn't officially, like, for sure say that that's how This is what killed her, right? Yeah. They were pretty quickly identified as Daniel and Anna Maria. Police were also able to match weeds that were found under Daniel's car to the weeds on the trails near where where they were found. So it was believed that the car was driven out there to dump the bodies and then abandoned back on the road. Okay. Both Anna Maria and Daniel were described as smart and kind. Anna Maria's family said she was a smart girl with a very sharp wit. And Daniel is described as a young man with a lot of potential. So despite these two being killed and found near the parkway but not on the parkway, There were several similarities. They were what appeared to be a couple. They were likely killed with a knife. The car had been had been abandoned and they hadn't been robbed. Okay. So police did connect Daniel and Anna Maria's murders to the other Colonial Parkway killings. So to this day, there are people who believe these cases are not connected. Some people believe there were maybe three killers with the two that happened on the parkway being connected and then the other two being separate. But there are also a lot of people who believe that they are all linked together. Especially if, like, obviously the cars were moved. So all of the cars could have been on the parkway at some point in time and then relocated. I mean, pretty much all the cars were relocated, we think, aside from maybe the one of... The couple on the overlook. Yeah. Just because they might have gone there willingly to, you know, have a little fun. But, um, yeah, so they can't really connect it or rule it out because they were probably moved. <laughs> exactly. And so po- police and a lot of the public believe that these were connected, but pol- they had no leads. They yeah. had no way to conclusively link these because there was very little, if any, forensic or DNA evidence. And they just had Which nothing to go off of. Mm-hmm. That was one yes. of the reasons that they thought that they could be linked. You know, there was no evidence, no real signs of a struggle, no witnesses, no theft, and no motive. Right. So because the murders of Kathy and Rebecca and disappearances of or, and believed murder of Keith and Cassandra happened on federal land inside of the National Park... The FBI got involved, but only with those two cases, while the state police were investigating the murders of David, Robin, Daniel, and Anna Maria. Okay. So they did work together, but it was also two separate agencies investigating these cases. Right. Over the past 35 plus years, over 150 suspects have been questioned, but they have all been cleared. Wow. Wow. They have never named a suspect. There have been a couple that they've named over the years or presumed maybe people could be involved, but they were very quickly ruled out. Either they were in jail or they had an alibi or whatever. So they've never named a suspect that they haven't cleared. And like we've kind of alluded to, it is believed that the suspect may have acted as a police officer 
and that the victims may have been tricked into pulling their cars over. Kathy's brother, Bill Thomas, started a Facebook page called The Colonial Parkway Murders, and I will link it in the show notes because they're always updating and sharing about other true crime cases. They're sharing about theories on there and, you know, talking all about all kinds of different cases, but especially this one. So have... So it's more like the public has linked all these cases together as opposed to police officially? So police have, um, and I'll talk about this in a little bit, okay. the main FBI investigator that was working on it from the start does believe they're all linked together okay. and was investigating it as if they were linked together. And then right. there's a separate PI that was hired at some point that does not believe they're linked together. So I don't think the police can conclusively say, yes, they are linked together, but they do believe that they are very likely. Yeah. And then a lot of the public is also very adamant that they are linked together. Okay. So in 2018, on this Facebook group, a post was made revealing that DNA had been found at at least three, if not all four of the crime scenes that could potentially link the cases conclusively and lead to an arrest. Oh. So this was reportedly um, a hair, the hair in Kathy's hand. And then there was also reportedly a biological sample from Robin. But there have been no public updates from authorities in 13 years. And the families of the victims are really pushing for this evidence to be tested. Because as far as anything you can find online, it has not been tested. Right. And this could be like the thing to Mm -hmm. bust these cases wide open Mm -hmm. so over the years the victims families have been fighting for justice a lot of the parents were obviously big advocates of this and then with them either passing away or being in declining health a lot of the victims siblings have been taking over kathy's brother bill spends all of his time investigating So he makes himself available to the public. He receives new tips every few weeks. And he says that he sends the most credible tips to the FBI. He also co-hosts a podcast called Mind Over Murder, which covers both the Parkway murders and other aspects of true crime. And he really is just so focused on justice. Yeah. Keith Call's sister, Joyce, still keeps their family's phone number in case anyone were to call with information. And she also, when she got married, hyphenated her last name with her uh, maiden name, Call, just in case somebody might try to reach out to her. Wow. Robin's sister, Jeanette, had a one-year-old son when Robin was killed, and that son now has three children of his own. Paula and Terry Haley, Cassandra's sisters, continue to write letters to the FBI pleading for answers. Yeah, I mean, gosh, it's been decades and nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in 2021, at the 35-year anniversary of the first murders, family members were really starting to push for another meeting with the FBI with the goal of getting the DNA tested. Yeah. So the FBI public affairs specialist, Christina Pullen, would not comment on confirming the presence of DNA, whether it has been tested, or anything else related to the case. But Bill Thomas is adamant that there is DNA from the crime scenes. And he said that back in 2020, he was notified by the FBI that DNA from Kathy's case was being sent for testing at Quantico. 
but to his knowledge it has never been tested what the hell yeah (laughs) why yeah that like i mean if it is what we have been alluding to even that like don't Mm -hmm. protect anyone no not that i'm saying that that's necessarily what's going on here but like why are they not testing the dna if they have it yeah and especially now all of this improved dna technology genetic genealogy the killer could be found so it's really frustrating to the families that you know and you have a clump of hair Mm -hmm. that's like that should be tested a lot of testable dna you would think you would think yeah anyway (laughs) (laughs) so in 2010 several of the victims families requested that retired milwaukee police detective steve spingola come investigate the case as a pi so he did and he published a 29 page article about his findings and theories and he is the one that believes the murders were done by different killers okay so he actually believes that Kathy and Rebecca's murders, the first ones, could be linked to another 1996 double murder in Shenandoah National Park in Virginia, which is about 180 miles west of the parkway. So this was 26-year-old Lolly Winnens and 24-year-old Julie Williams, who were camping in the Shenandoah National Park over Memorial Day weekend, and they didn't return home. They were reported missing. And then on June 1st, they were found bound and gagged with their throat slit. Very similar to Kathy and okay. Rebecca. Yeah. And their case has I mean, never been solved. I could see how he could or they could connect those two cases just because of how similar that that aspect of it is. Yeah. And I mean, I do see that maybe those are connected, but I also firmly believe that Kathy and Rebecca were connected to Keith and uh, Cassandra, who were found not far from them. So maybe all three of them are connected. Maybe this is the same guy. Yeah, that's what I was going to say next is why would I mean, yeah, it's not on or like near. I mean, that's a pretty significant distance away from. But if they're no longer working in that area or Mm -hmm. they are trying to, you know, spread out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're doing a different area. I mean, who's to say? Yeah. No, it's... I definitely think that 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 case could be connected to all of these cases, potentially. Yeah. But Spingola, with his report, said that he believes that the Colonial Parkway murders that have been connected are not connected. And that was kind of the extent of, like, what he found. You know, there wasn't, like, anything about who it was or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, they're all they all have different aside from the the couple that their bodies were never recovered, they all have different causes of death. Mhm. So, it may just be like what was convenient, right, quote unquote, to the killer at the time, you know? Right. Yeah, I definitely think that that could be the case and like or if there's more than one killer. Mhm. So that's another theory that police have is that there may have been an accomplice, especially yeah. because of the way these people were killed. Maybe not the gunshots, but to slit somebody's throat so deep that their heads almost decapitated and there'd be another person there mm-hmm. in the car that could have been fighting back. Yeah. Kind of. To take on to... two people, period. Yeah, exactly. 
And also, we don't know that the last murder is a different cause of death because it they definitely were stabbed with a knife True. at least and they very could have it very well could have been that their throat was slashed it just didn't hit the bone so we yep. don't know for sure that that cause of death is different true yep now something else happened in 2010 that's a little bit confusing and i'm going to tell you from now it led nowhere and it okay. also hasn't been officially confirmed by police so in 2010, it was revealed that there was a note that was taken from a box from Anna Maria's apartment. And this note apparently was not dated and is believed to have been written by Anna Maria. Okay. And it said that she was planning to meet someone in a blue van at a rest stop. Okay. And if you remember, her car, she or was, the car she was in car, was found abandoned yeah. at a rest Weird. stop. Now, the Virginia State Police claim that the information in this note was previously investigated and ruled out. But there is one investigator that told a reporter that during the investigation, he was unaware of the existence of this note. Oh, okay. So maybe it was cleared after the fact? Maybe. But how can they clear it? I mean, how do you... Right. Unless they, like, figured out who that was and... yeah. So it's very vague and confusing, um, and it did kind of spark some discussion when it was revealed in 2010, but like I said, as far as I could find, it led nowhere. Right. In 1991, a newspaper in Norf... How do you say that? Norfolk? Norfolk? Norfolk. Norfolk. They say Norfolk. Yeah. Norfolk, Virginia. (laughs) Okay, there. Um, This newspaper is called The Virginian Pilot. They ran a three-part series on the murders. And in this, reporter Greg Schneider was able to speak with the FBI lead investigator, Robert Meadows. So I actually subscribed to The Virginian Pilot so I could read these (laughs) articles because I was so interested. And it was kind of, it's kind of a piece like about meadows and how the whole process went so i'll kind of explain different parts to you okay so meadows was assigned to work on the colonial parkway murders three years into his career at the fbi so when he was given the case in 1991 the fbi was officially investigating the double murder and then the disappearance presumed double murder that happened in the national park but they were also aware of the other two double murders okay And while at this time there wasn't any serious discussion of a serial killer, many were kind of starting to think in that direction. So Meadows started combing through the paperwork of the initial investigations. And the main, um, what's the word I'm looking for, agent on the case when this was first happening was actually obviously a colleague, Agent Mabry, um, but also a friend of Meadows. So they had talked about it a lot. So he kind of knew a lot about this. But he was like, I'm going to just start from the beginning and comb through everything from the start. Okay. So Meadows scoured the reports from Agent Mabry, reports from other responding officers, forensic reports, autopsies, everything. From part one of this newspaper series, which is called Agent Stock's Dark Path of Serial Killer, quote, This killer is coldly, frighteningly good. He leaves little evidence. He is confident enough to gain total control of his victims. He is bold enough to take them in pairs in public places. And he is patient enough to wait more than a year at a time before striking again. Wow. So Meadows was like, I am sure that the killer's name is somewhere here. I just need to figure out who this is. 
Yeah, hone in on it. So he ended up meeting with the lead investigators on the two non-federal cases, and they began meeting weekly to discuss theories and look for leads, but they kept coming up blank. But he was working closely with them because he did believe that they were all connected. Right. They ended up bringing the case to um, the Virginia FBI profiler at the time, who was named Steve Mardigan, and um, also to a special agent for the Virginia State Police named Larry McCann. So this was, you know, this is like the early 90s. This is just the start of FBI profiling becoming a big thing. So they brought the case there and uh, Mardigan and McCann spent the next couple of months looking through the evidence in all four, four cases. And they concluded that there were so many similarities that the cases had to be connected and that there was a serial killer out there. Yeah. So they described him, and I don't think this was, like, an official FBI profile because, again, this was kind of, like, the early days, but this is what they came up with after looking through all of this. So they described him as an organized killer who controlled his victims before killing them. He concealed the corpses after the murders and took long breaks between each attack. They believed this killer was in his late 20s or early 30s and was average or above average in intelligence, had good social skills, potentially lived with a partner, and potentially owned a car. They also believed that he had undergone serious stress that led to the crimes. It's possible that his motivation came from a feeling of isolation in childhood and an extreme need to have control. He also likely committed crimes as a kid that escalated to murder as an adult. The killer likely read and watched reports about the murders he committed, And he may have been posing as a cop, which would explain why windows were rolled down and wallets were out of purses. It was also believed he may have had an accomplice with him, and this accomplice was likely a follower of the killer and did what he was told. So they had this more solidified profile of a potential suspect, but Meadows and the other two investigators could not pin down a name. He said that in the first year of his investigation, he had 150 people who fit the profile, but no one panned out. You know, some were in jail, some had alibis, just nothing was panning out. Right. He even started looking into cops or ex-cops because, you know, potential. But again, nothing panned out. And Meadows was determined to never give up searching. I couldn't find when he retired. I looked for so long to figure out, like, what happened and where, you know, where the case went. But from everything I read, he basically was, like, never gave up on this. And probably what I'm guessing is did it until he retired. And honestly, probably after he retired, he probably kept looking into this. And he just couldn't find anything. His biggest thing was wanting to find Keith and Cassandra Because, you know, he said, obviously, this is so difficult for every single family, but for their families, them never being found, it's like so hard too. yeah, I mean, you don't really get any closure. I mean, and I'm sure like, you know, some people hold out the hope that they're still out there, even though the evidence points to they're likely not. But, you know, until you get that finite closure, it's like. It's hard to... It's just heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so he was determined, but it never led anywhere. Now, in 2008, a stranger discovered that photos from Daniel and Anna Maria's crime scene had been made somewhat public. So a man named Fred Atwell met a man who owned a law enforcement training school in Hampton, Virginia. So this school had an old FBI slideshow that had crime scene photos from the four double homicides and most from Daniel and Anna Maria's crime scene. Oh. So Fred Atwell was a sheriff's deputy during the time that the crimes happened, and he had collected a lot of material on the cases, he knew the investigators, and he even knew the family of one of the victims. So the owner of the school told him about these FBI photos that were being used for training, and this included 84 images of the cars, evidence inside them, and even the victims. Hmm. So after this discovery, after Atwell found out about it, he called the FBI. He was like, hey, this shouldn't be public and this is being used. He also called Keith's sister, Joyce, because he had become friends with her after a mutual friend introduced them shortly after Keith's disappearance. The mutual friend knew that Atwell was somewhat working on the case and introduced them. So they had become friends and he called her to tell her this is happening. Now, reportedly, the FBI recovered these crime scene photos six months after Atwell initially called them. Right. But it's believed that they only did so because Atwell went to the media. Not because he called them and said, hey, this is being used. It wasn't done until he went to the media and talked about it. They were like, oh, don't want to get, you know, look, don't Mm want to look bad. Wow. So the calls have a Facebook page called... What happened to Richard Keith Call and Cassandra Haley? And they wrote on there about the leaked photos. And that's when Kathy Thomas's brother, Bill, who has his own Facebook page, found them. Right. So on the anniversary of Keith and and Cassandra's murder, he wrote on their page saying, you know, thinking about you, all of that. And the calls responded and they started talking. So that's when the Thomases, the Calls, and the Haleys all got connected. And they really started pushing for this DNA testing. Yeah. They barely heard back from the FBI. In 2010, they did meet with the FBI, who told them that the evidence was in a lab in Quantico for forensic analysis. But that was pretty much it. That's helpful. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like... They, this, this FBI agent basically said, oh, like, we'll keep you updated. Nobody kept them updated. Like, it was not, it was not well heck? communicated. Yeah. Yeah. In 2016, at the 30-year anniversary of Kath and Re- Kathy and Rebecca's murders, buzz around the DNA testing from the FBI was spun up again. But nothing came from that, and families still don't know the progress of that testing. And I think that was really just because it was, like, a big anniversary. They started talking about it again. I don't think it was because anything was coming out. Right. Whether or not these four double homicides are connected, there are still eight victims out there who have never gotten justice. And if there is DNA in any of these cases... That needs to be tested and run through any database it can be, because you just never know who it may match. Just like the case um, of the I-65 killer that we covered recently, it may be someone that was never suspected at all that committed these crimes. 
Golden State Killer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that right there. And he was in law enforcement, too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean. The, and it's so know. frustrating. But part of me is like, there has to be some reason they're not testing it. Maybe the DNA that they do have is a very small sample. That could be why. But it's just like, at Why are least, they waiting, though? Like, yeah. Where, like, what are you waiting so, for? Like, yeah, there's so many advancements in DNA technology. And like you said, familial DNA and all these different things. Like, yes, it's always a, a literal shot in the dark if they're going to get something back. And when you have a small sample, like we've talked about before, there's only so much you can do with it. But mm-hmm. it's been, what? 35 years plus yeah like come on test something just test something yeah and just see and then if nothing else then just chill out and, and you still wait have for that... more advancements <laughs> yeah exactly so it is I'm so sure it's frustrating. like more complicated than that we're, we're you know dumbing it down but yeah i just don't i don't understand like why nothing is happening if they have this dna yeah and the poor families they're they just want updates. They just want understanding of what's happening in the case. And even if the FBI went to them and said, we can't test it right now because it's too small of a sample, at least do yeah. that. Don't say, oh, yeah. it's in Quantico for testing and then just nothing. For like, 13 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's very frustrating for the families. And Kathy, Rebecca, David, Robin, Keith, Cassandra, Daniel, and Anna Maria deserve justice. Yeah. And there also are other cases potentially connected to these murders. So these have been discussed. Personally, after reading about them, I don't believe that they're connected but there's also a small part of me that thinks yeah, possibly they could be yeah so around the same time that david and robin were found on a beach on the james river there were two other young people that were killed and dumped into the james river so both of these people were residents of newport news where keith and cassandra went to school 25-year-old Brian Pettinger disappeared on December 4th, 1987, while leaving a dance studio in Hampton. He was not seen or heard from after that night, but in February 1988, his body was found floating in the James River, and his murder has never been solved. There were there was one suspect in his case. This person was reportedly seen leaving the dance studio with him. And the suspect denied being involved, but he also did fail a lie detector test. But we always say lie detector tests are, you know. Yeah. But interestingly, five months after Brian was found, this suspect died by suicide. So some investigators think he could have been involved. Okay. On March 9th, 1988, 18-year-old Lori Ann Powell disappeared after walking home along Route 614 after an argument with her boyfriend. The boyfriend was interviewed, but he has never been charged, and her murder has never been solved. So Bryant went missing three months after David and Robin were found, and then Lori went missing four months after that, and then a month after Lori went missing, Keith and Cassandra disappeared and were presumably killed. So that is six murders within seven months, 
four found in or near the James River and two found not far away. Right. So despite Brian and Lori's murders not often being brought up in relation to the Colonial Parkway murders, mostly because their cars weren't found abandoned and there wasn't quite the same crime scene and as they were just other cases. Yeah. People as opposed to couples or yeah. you know, two people together. Yeah. But their families and others do still think there could potentially be a connection, yeah. mostly because I mean, of the yeah. timeline. I, I mean, yeah, it's very possible just because it's in such close proximity to the other yeah. murders. Yeah, you never know. So some people believe these could be connected. There's reportedly physical evidence in Lori's murder case and her family's pushing for DNA testing to find the killer. Finally, I want to leave you with a story from one of our listeners who believes her mom may have encountered the Colonial Parkway killer. And honestly, I kind of think so too. Yeah. Yeah. So this story is from Leanna. And I'm only going to read you part of it, but if you want to hear the whole thing, go listen to our last listener episode, which is the one before this. But Leanna said, in 1991, my mom was pulled over on the Colonial Parkway for her driving. I believe she was swerving a little. The officer had an attitude and demanded my mom get out of her car and into his car. She obviously knew that wasn't okay, and her gut told her no. What happened next still haunts my mom. He pulled her out of the car threw her to the ground, cracked her teeth, and beat her. Out of nowhere, another person comes from out of the woods. The officer seemed to know the guy coming out of the woods. This person helped the officer tie my mom up and throw her into the back of his car to do God knows what. While the officer was walking around the car to get back in the driver's side, my mom, this badass bitch, grabbed the officer's radio and screamed for help. That is what ultimately saved her life. It scared the officer. The random guy ran away back into the woods and the officer untied my mom. She sued the police department and apparently he did not get fired, but just demoted. But the scariest thing of all is that my mom swears he was the Colonial Parkway killer. The killing stopped after that. So this is 1991 and the last murder took place in 1989. The last known murder that's connected and then uh, liana says and if you're familiar with those killings they never caught the guy they suspected he was a cop and they suspected he had an accomplice scary shit okay i have so much oh my gosh okay i know so and that would be that would be that would line up perfectly with like him waiting that like year Mm -hmm. year and a half to attack again yep who and the fact he did not get arrested or he did not get fired like what the actual fuck you know honestly probably they just didn't believe her they were like no that didn't actually happen because that's what happens with women victims often against a cop (laughs) yeah when you go against a cop yeah so i don't know i definitely think that that could have been him because that's really freaking scary I mean, she was alone, so obviously that doesn't fit the M.O. of two people. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, maybe it was like, I don't know. I don't don't know. Yeah. I I definitely think it very well could have been connected. Yeah. I feel like with all of these, you can't say for sure that any of them are really connected, honestly. And so even this, it's like it very well could have been. 
And what if, like, what, so if there was two people, two murderers, what if one of them went rogue and that's mm-hmm. why the single, like, single people were killed? Yeah. Or, like, the people, I mean, uh, Robin and David being shot, maybe it was yeah. the other person that killed them, whereas yeah. the, the main guy, quote unquote, killed the first set. I mean, the, the FBI profile did say that the, the accomplice, if there was one, was likely a follower and like being told mm-hmm. what to do. So not as intelligent, probably. Yeah. So the main guy may have been like, hey, you're going to shoot them. And the other three, one, we know the cause of death. Another one, we don't, but there were knife wounds. And then the third one were never found. So we don't know the cause of death. So they very well right. all could have been killed the same way. And then maybe the accomplice killed Robin and David. I, I mean, don't know. That sounds good. That sounds, it fits the bill. Yeah. But that is the unsolved story of the Colonial Parkway murders. It is crazy that the DNA isn't being tested. They clearly have something. They clearly have something they can test because the FBI told Kathy Thomas's brother that DNA was being sent to Quantico. Quantico. Yep. So they clearly have something. But just like the I-70 killer case, they just aren't testing it for whatever reason. And I'm sure, I'm sure there's a reason that we don't know, that we don't understand. But I just can't imagine how frustrated the families are communicate i mean yeah at least with the families which you know maybe they are but it doesn't sound like they are no i don't think they they are they have stated you know yeah but i am hopeful that one day justice will prevail we just need to keep talking about this case i mean you hadn't ever heard of it i had barely heard of it i i knew some of the basics but i didn't know all of this and if we keep talking about it whether or not these murders are connected, I believe that they can be solved. And they all deserve justice, so connected or not, you know? Yeah, exactly. So thank you all so much for listening to today's episode. We love and appreciate you as always. And until next time, keep it human. Bye, guys. Bye.